Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, Hey, by the way, last time I hosted, I mentioned this, but I want to mention it again. Um, We are on Instagram. So not only is College Coach on Instagram, but I personally am on Instagram, and my Instagram is all dedicated to the same stuff we're talking about on the show Every day, every day, every day, every week. I feel like I do a podcast every day, but really it's just every week. Um, you should check us out at Elizabeth Heaton 92 and at College Coach BH. We have a great show for you today. I feel like we always have a good show, but particularly today, we're going to be talking about the CSS profile. Last week, we talked about the FAFSA, this week's CSS profile, and we are also going to be doing a segment on some of the big myths that we consistently here floating around that we are doing our very best to dispel. Um, But before we get to all of that, we have a segment that's particularly relevant to those seniors out there who are getting ready to submit applications. And along with those applications, they need to submit test scores. Uh, And we want to talk about how you think about that, how you choose what you're going to submit and uh, how to actually do it. Uh, and my colleague, Lauren Randall, who in addition to working uh, as an admissions officer at Georgetown, was also a college counselor at two different schools. So I know has fielded lots of questions about this in her career. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Beth. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Really excited to have you here. And I feel like when I sat down to think about questions, I thought, well, this will be a pretty quick segment. But really, we probably could spend the whole show talking about some of this stuff. Um, I think to just dive right in, my very first question for you is, how do you decide what to submit? And maybe let's talk a little bit about the SAT and the ACT first. Sure. Well, first of all, you don't always have a say in in some of these decisions, your first place uh, or or your first point of research here is to see what the colleges request. Um, If you don't know whether or not the school is test optional or whether or not uh, they want all testing um, submitted like the institution I worked for, Georgetown, no matter what you take, you have to send it. Um, So understanding the policies from each college's website is a really important starting point. Um, that being said, generally speaking, um, colleges that want to see the SAT or the ACT don't have a preference between between the two. Um, you get to choose if you've taken both. You get to choose which one you want to send. That's that's the the policy at most colleges. Got it. And then. I don't want to dig too deeply into score choice. We have talked about it in the past, um, but. Mm-hmm. How do you, let's say you took the SAT three times and the composite score is maybe, you know, if you add the two scores together, that's what I mean by composite score. It's the same um, for all three times you took it, or one is slightly better, but you did much better on one section than on the other. How do you think through those choices? Sure. So, I do think it, there, it depends a little bit on how many times you've taken it. Sometimes it's pretty easy to figure out if you have uh, one, whole, one, whole, one whole set uh, that is your lowest. 
don't send it. Why would you, right. why would you send something off if you don't have to? Um, you don't want to show your hand. Uh, you just want to show your best if that's what the college is saying that, 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 that they prefer uh, or that they allow. Um, so when a college allow, so if you, if they allow score choice, you're allowed to pick and choose, uh, what you send. Um, and you should find, go through and find your highest scores. And, and that's what you're sending. Now, a lot of students or families worry about this. Well, what if they still see one of the, the lower sections? Well, that's something that you shouldn't worry about if the school um, says that they super score. So if a school says they super score the SAT or ACT, they're going to, what, whatever, you, whatever group of testing you send them, their system is going to pluck out those best scores to come up with a new composite. They are, they are saying that they will put you in your very, in the very best light possible. Um, so you don't need to panic about, well, what if I accidentally report something that I don't want them to see? Schools that super score, they take care of it, uh, in their process. Right. Exactly. And then just really quickly, ACT, um, is also something that some schools super score, although it's far less frequent mm-hmm. that they super score than in the other. Um, so just um, my advice often, but again, it, it, it does depend and it does get a little bit tricky, right? Is when I see a student with a particularly strong subscore, maybe it's not their highest composite, but I will often encourage them to send along the second set of ACTs unless there isn't a huge difference between that subscore and the one that they got in the same section. So let's say they got a 20 on the ACT mm-hmm. science section and one time they took it and they got a 21 the second time they took it, but that first composite was higher by a point or two than the second one. I'm not sure it makes sense to send the second, but um, right. these are sort of the nuances that I wish that we could, you know, and people who listen to this show know I say this all the time. I wish I could make a blanket statement, but we can't make a blanket statement there. But just try to use your best judgment. And I think the piece of advice that I want to highlight that you just offered is um, just to not send anything that only represents your worst if you don't have to. Right. So that's that's an easy choice. Um, Exactly. What about? Exactly. Yeah. What about if the school is test optional. How do you decide, well, I don't have to submit my scores, but maybe I still want to. How do you make that choice of when it's a good time to submit and when you should not? That's a great question. So for, again, it's not necessarily up (laughs) to you whether or not the school's test optional. So you need to know that um, in your research and finding out whether the school um, requires the testing or not. If you have that option, there's a, it's not necessarily um, cut and dry. But my first question is always going to, or my first question to you is, is about your grades. So grades we know at every school, test optional or not, is going to be the most important factor. But when you remove your testing, that puts even more emphasis on how important those grades and the curriculum choices you made are in, in your review. So are your grades really going, you know, is that your shining moment? Are your grades that much stronger and you feel that your test scores are just really not reflective of where you are academically, that would be a good time to really think about test optional schools. Um, now, whether or not, if you think that they're close, but you're just not sure, um, I would, many test optional schools 
still publish their mid-50% range of test scores. Um, so you can look on the College Board's website, Big Future, um, to see ranges, to see if it's published there. You could check uh, the individual college's website. Um, but I also find that test-optional schools are really, really approachable. Um, when in doubt, it doesn't hurt to call up and ask the admissions officer. I actually did this uh, when I worked on the high school side. I couldn't decide as a counselor whether to advise a student who was applying to the University of Scranton, uh, which is a test-optional school, whether or not to submit his testing. And I, we picked up the phone together and, and called, and the, count, the admissions officer was great and said, no, I wouldn't do it. It's, it's, not, going to, it's not going to help him. But they also gave great insight. They said if he had 50 points higher, he'd be considered for merit scholarship, and then he should. I'm like, oh, that kind of changed the conversation of whether he might want to take testing again. So mm-hmm. the point being here is that it never hurts to pick up the phone and call um, and ask, ask directly. Right. And I think the other piece of advice would be you can go to Big Future, um, which is a college board site, but provides information about the different colleges and you can look and see what their averages are. And if your scores are Mm -hmm. average or better, then maybe that's a good sign you submit. And if they are below average, then probably no. But I love the advice to call. You should not be afraid to call. I think that's very Mm -hmm. important. Um, What about... um, adding your test scores onto your application. So that is not a requirement on the Common App. You can just leave the section Mm -hmm. blank with your test scores, or you can report your scores there. Um, What are your thoughts on this, especially for students who are maybe going to be applying to a combination of schools where they're submitting testing, or the school is test optional and they are not going to submit test scores? Sure. So uh, this is where it does get a little bit Tricky. I, I would typically advise a student, um, so even though you fill out the common application and they all see that same information, you still submit college by college, one at a time. I typically tell my, advise my students, if they want to apply test optional, then leave that section blank. You, you don't want to show something. Admissions officers uh, can't unsee it, right? So um, I, I would say to remove it for those colleges and then add it back in if they want to for the colleges that, that require it. Um, I find it, pers- it's not a required section, but I find it helpful to, to have the scores there. Um, first of all, it, it allows, it's a verification check for, for the admissions officer um, to see if things are, are lining up. Um, but many colleges are now allowing self-reported scores so if it's on the application um, and you you may might not need to send your official scores from the College Board or the ACP website, unless you are admitted and choose to enroll, then you follow up with your official scores. So more and more colleges are allowing this self-reporting, um, and you could save yourself some, some money um, by, by doing it in the Common Application or the Coalition app. Yeah, and I I love that advice of just, you know, you can adjust that application after every time you send it. Once it's sent to a particular school, you can't make changes, but you can make adjustments. The one thing I will say is that in talking to people who work in admissions offices at test optional schools is that if the student has checked that they are test optional, the scores are suppressed. So they are never even actually going to see them. So even if you accidentally 
put them on your application and send them to a test optional school, there's a very good chance the admissions officer won't see them. However, I, I agree yeah. with your advice to just not put it on there in the first place, because what if there's a glitch in the system and they get through? Um, but yes, I think that's a really great uh, point and idea. All right, we've been talking a lot about, um, well, one actually, one other thing. Back in July, on the July 25th show, we did a whole segment around subject tests. So if people are interested in that, I would go um, and listen to that segment. Same general rules apply. You want to submit the scores that you would like the schools to see and not the others if you decide not to, um, if you're not applying to a school that requires you to submit everything. Last question Uh before we get to how you submit is around AP scores. Um, So we get lots of questions about, do I need to send in those officially? Do I, what do I report? Do I have to report them all? So what is your advice around AP scores? So on the common application, again, in, in the, in the testing, in the optional testing section, you have the, the choice to self-report your AP scores. I have not found a college out there, even Georgetown, which requires everything. It does not apply to the AP scores. I have not found a college out there that requires every single AP score to be reported. So you get the choice. So you should be reporting what reflects positively. What it, where is it going to add value? Um, for your application. Um, You do not need to send the official scores unless you are admitted and choose to enroll, and then you do need to report them from the college board um, for your your official scores, and that's for credit uh, credit evaluation or or class placement. Um, Now, should you you include them? Well, Fours and fives are going to help you no matter what, everywhere. Fours and fives are fantastic at, at every college. I yep. think, uh, and one, ones and twos means you did not pass the test. So I don't see where that helps you anywhere. So I would tell a student never to report a one or a two because you don't need to and it's not going to help. I think the three is where we get the, the most questions. And I think that that's a little bit tricky. Um, what I would tell a student to do is, is to go to the college's website and find their AP score credit policy. They will publish it, so uh, test by test, what score you need to receive and what you get for it. So they will say AP Calc AB scores fours and five, you get three credits. Well, then you know a three doesn't get you anything at that college, so it's probably not advantageous, doesn't add as much value um, to your to your review. Um, but colleges that do give credit for a three, well, that's going to be a positive then. Um, you know, I think one worry we hear from families a lot is, well, if I don't report a three, are they going to assume I got a one or a two? No, that's not the case. We Colleges are, are, are take the information they have to make the best decision that they can with the information in front of them. They don't try to guess uh, what happened. What, you know, does this mean they got a one? Were they sick? Was this just a really bad teacher that year and everybody didn't pass the test? They don't have time or, or the desire to make those kind of uh, hypothetical situations. Right, well, exactly. Maybe you didn't even take the test. So, I yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with that advice. In the last two minutes that we have, Lauren, um, how do you actually submit the scores? So, again, if it's 
if, if these scores, if the college only wants a self-reported score, you don't need to worry about it unless you are admitted and choose to enroll at that institution. Um, but schools that want, if you see on their website that they want official testing reported, that means it's beyond just what you put on the application. It's beyond what might be on your high school transcript. This needs to come directly from the testing agency. So you, if you are reporting the ACT, you log on to your account on the ACT website, um, and you put in your, your the schools there uh, for the school report, uh, excuse me, the, the score report. Uh, you put in your schools, and you pay school by school and send them off. And then for the SAT, that website is the college board. Um, but if you took either of those exams, you already have uh, a profile and, a, and an account, and that's how you send your official scores to each college individually. Thank you so much, Lauren. I think this was really helpful information for our listeners. Um, we are going to take a short break, and when we return, we're going to be talking about the CSS profile. So don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Last week, we talked about the FAFSA, which is the um, 
one of the financial aid applications, and it's actually the one that's required at most colleges out there. Um, there's another financial aid application that you may not be aware of, um, and that's called the CSS Profile. And so I'm excited to welcome Lori Peltier uh, back to the show. She's a frequent guest, and she also happens to be a former financial aid officer at Anna Maria and Becker Colleges. Uh, hi, Lori. Hi, Beth. Uh, yeah, so welcome back to the show. We're talking about the CSS profile this week. Like I said, we talked about the FAFSA last week. This week, it's the CSS profile. So let's start with what the heck does CSS stand for and what is the CSS profile? That, that's a good place to start. The uh, acronym stands for College Scholarship Service, so CSS Profile. It's an online application put out by the College Board, the College Board, the same company that does the SAT testing, so you can find it on the College Board website. And it's an online application that's required by about 300 colleges across the country and some scholarship applications. So it is not required by every school. The FAFSA form is if you want to get uh, federal financial aid, and at most schools, any financial aid from the school, you do the FAFSA form, which is the free application for federal student aid. But then there's those 300 colleges who said, you know what, that's not enough information for us, so we want you to do a second application, and they um, got together and created this CSS profile form that they subscribe to and will require it. Most colleges will clearly spell it out on their websites under their financial aid pages of what forms are required and what the due dates are. So I highly recommend as you put together your list of colleges and you're checking what's required for admission, that you're also checking what's required for financial aid and clearly looking at those due dates. You can also check the CSS profile page on the College Board website where they have a list in alphabetical order of all the colleges and scholarship organizations that require the form. Got it. Great information. Is it fair to say that most of the schools requiring the CSS profile are private institutions? Are there any publics that you know of? I know I'm asking you this off the cuff, but are there any publics that you're aware of that are asking for the CSS profile? There are, and so it's tricky. I, I used to, myself, always say it's just the private schools, you know, the highly selective, more expensive private schools mm-hmm. that require the CSS profile. But there are some publics, but they are big-name publics that are similar to private. University of Michigan, uh, University of Virginia, so UVA, and uh, UNC Chapel Hill. So, you know, again, they fall into that sort of expensive for an out-of-state student and highly selective. They require it as public. Those are the three that I know of. There may be a few more. Got it. Okay, very helpful. So how is the CSS profile different from the FAFSA? That um, There are several ways that it's different. Um, I wanted to start with one way that they're similar is that they both come out on October 1st. So if you have a high school senior, don't go to the website yet. It's too early. Uh, the form that you want to fill out for a student graduating in 2020 becomes available on October 1st, just like the FAFSA form. But then they are different in several ways. Number one, it costs money. The FAFSA form is free, but it does cost money to submit the CSS profile form. 
Number two, it asks questions about the parent's home equity in the asset section, whereas the FAFSA does not include the equity of your primary residence as an asset. The CSS profile form does include that information. Um, thirdly, and a big one for many families, is that this, this form will ask for information of a non-custodial parent if the parents are divorced or separated. So it will be looking at all the parents, uh, biological and step-parents, for a student, whereas the FAFSA form only looks at the custodial parent that the child lives with. Uh, fourth, there are um, different ways to make corrections. You can make corrections online to your FAFSA form, but you can't. Once you've submitted the profile form, you can't go back in and make corrections. You need to contact the schools and tell them that you found an error and want to make a correction. So there's no online correcting your CSS profile. And lastly, uh, another difference is that there are additional assets that schools may ask about on the profile form that are not even mentioned on the FAFSA form, such as cars. I know when I filled it out myself for my own children, I was shocked when I saw, you know, they wanted to know the make and model of the cars that we had and how many miles we had on them. Um, They may ask questions about uh, grandparents' assets or other family members who have savings plans for your child. So there may be some asset questions um, about certain asset categories that are never mentioned on the FAFSA that will be mentioned on the CSS profile. Right. So in essence, it sounds like they're looking to form a much bigger picture of your financial circumstances than the FAFSA is doing and to basically identify who truly has need and who perhaps has a lot more resources available to them. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Okay. What about, obviously, if you're filling these forms out, it's in the hope that you're going to qualify for some type of financial aid. Uh, And for some students, it could mean that they need a significant amount of financial aid and they really don't have much available to them, period. And you mentioned that this form costs money to file. What if they can't even afford to pay that application fee? Right. It does happen. I have seen it happen. Um, there is no waiver fee, no waiver form for the CSS profile, but once the student has entered in their information about do they own a home, what is their income, what kind of a tax form did they file, do they receive public assistance benefits, things like that, the form itself, the, the online application is intuitive and it will, at the end, waive the fee for those people or lower the fee for those people they deem um, worthy of, of a waiver. So you won't know until you get to the end. Um, and when you get to the end, it will ask for a credit card to submit it if you are required to pay that fee. Most students who are on a free or reduced lunch at their high school uh, will get a fee waiver um, and other circumstances if they don't own a home and their income is very low. Um, the fee itself is $25 for the first school and $16 for each school after that. So it can add up pretty quickly if you have, you know, four or five schools that require the profile form, you know, you could be looking at at quite a bit of money for a student. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And uh, one more reason not to apply to a ridiculous number of schools, if possible. Um, So one of the big things that the CSS profile does ask about, and this is um, for someone like 
for me, for example, where I am divorced, I'm remarried, my ex-husband is not, my son splits his time between the two of us, um, but if we were to fill out the FAFSA, one or the other of us would be filling that out, but with the CSS profile, they're going to take both of our information into consideration. What if it's a situation where the student is not in touch with the non-custodial parent? So they've been raised by one parent and the other parent either was never in the picture or has exited stage left and they are no longer in the picture to the point where you couldn't reach out to them even if you wanted to. How does that work? Yeah, and unfortunately it does come up, um, that problem comes up often. In each college will handle it differently, but there is a waiver request available through the college board. So as you're filling out the profile form, you can uh, download and fill out a waiver request for the non-custodial parent. Uh, details about when the student and this non-custodial parent last had a relationship, why the parent is no longer in the picture, or any legal arrangements that may have been made, such as garnishment of wages for child support, are helpful to plead your case. So just be prepared that you may um, have to answer those questions. Ultimately, it's up to the individual college to decide if the requirement will be waived. If they don't waive the requirement and the non-custodial parent does not comply and complete the form, the student's application could be deemed incomplete for the status for institutional financial aid. The student can still receive federal funding from the FAFSA form, but they wouldn't get any uh, direct monies in the form of grants from the college itself, unfortunately. Yeah, and based on what I know I've seen, and I'm sure that you have as well, Lori, this is not an easy thing. Um, It's not you simply check a box and say, yeah, this person's not really around anymore. Um, Most colleges who ask for the CSS profile are going to be looking very, very closely at that, and they may not always make the decision that you wish they would. Um, And so be prepared to really provide as much background on this as you possibly can if this describes your situation. Uh, Any tricks or tips to completing the form um, that you would like to share with our listeners? Sure. I think the biggest thing is not filling it out altogether, not realizing that it's a requirement. I've done a lot of volunteering at FAFSA days here in Massachusetts where we help people fill out the FAFSA form, and and the family will fill it out and get up and say, okay, we're done. And I said, but you applied to these three schools. They all require the CSS profile. You're not done yet. And they (laughs) had no idea that it was even a requirement. So make sure you're checking if it's required for your schools and the deadline date. A lot of schools that use the CSS profile have a hard deadline date of, you know, if if you don't get it done by that date, you don't get any money. So mm-hmm. um, check the, the deadline dates and check the deadline dates for your status for admission. So if you're applying early action, it might be a different deadline date than if you're applying regular. So you want to look at the correct deadline dates. Um, I think the other thing is reporting assets in that are inflated rather than the net cost. So when they ask for the net equity of some of your investments, you can deduct if you have a loan against those investments, like a mortgage against your home. So making sure that you're not just putting the the face value, you're subtracting anything you owe against that asset. Um, Not submitting unusual circumstances. So the profile form has a box where you can write anything that's unique or different about your financial situation that you don't feel is captured there. They also have questions on the form about younger siblings' private education costs. 
and parent educational cost if the parent has borrowed loans in the past and still owes money on loans. So there are um, some features of the profile form that are more friendly or flexible than the FAFSA form, and that's one of them. So don't be shy about, you know, listing any unique situations you have. It's giving you the opportunity right there. Also not realizing that the profile form will be checked against the FAFSA form. So the schools that require the profile form are typically those schools that have the staff in the financial aid office to go through your applications with a fine-tooth comb, and they are going to do a side-by-side comparison between the FAFSA and the profile and highlight any discrepancies. And they may come back to you for more information to resolve those discrepancies. So not responding to those requests for information um, can can hurt you because it can slow down the process and put you after the deadline date. Um, but also, you know, not checking yourself of what did I report on the FAFSA form versus what did I report on the profile, trying to keep them as close and, and accurate as possible will help you through that process. Yep, same documents, both forms. Do you ever suggest that families simply sit down, have all the forms handy, and then do the FAFSA and then do the CSS profile immediately after so that it increases the likelihood that they're getting all of the same information into both? I do, I do, because... um you know, I did, the deadline dates are usually the same, so you've got to get them done anyways. They both come out October 1st, so sometime in October, sit down, and you're going to have all your documents in front of you, tax returns, W-2s, bank statements. Might as well sit down and do it once and get it over with rather than drag it out throughout the month and, and possibly miss something and report the wrong information. Yeah, absolutely. Lori, great information. Uh, As a reminder to our listeners, last week's show, the one that aired on September 12th, uh, covered the FAFSA. Obviously, you're listening right now. You're hearing all you need to know or hopefully all you need to know about the CSS profile. Um, Don't miss those deadlines. We are only a week or two away from both forms being available. Lori, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. Well, when we come back, we are talking about these myths that just won't go away. And um, there were so many that I'm thinking that we might want to make this a quarterly thing. And maybe we'll do some finance ones as well. Uh, So stay tuned. We'll be back in just a minute. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. 
Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right. We get a number of questions sent into the show. Um, We also, in the work that we do, get a a lot of questions or hear a lot from families um, that kind of perpetuate myths that we are always trying to say, no, no, that's not true. That is not a fact. That is a myth. Uh, And we got a few too many of those the other day and decided, you know what, we're going to do a segment on the podcast and talk about some of these myths that we keep hearing about. Uh, And as we went to compile that list, it was shockingly long. So this may not be the only segment that we ever do on this, but I'm really excited to welcome my colleague, Kimberly Aselta, who is also a former admissions officer at Babson and Holy Cross to the show today to talk through some of these myths and the reality uh, with us. Hi, Kimberly. Hi, Beth. I'm excited about this topic. This is going to be a fun one. I know. This is, um, in many ways, an easy one, but also just so important because this is the stuff that sometimes makes me want to put my head through a wall because (laughs) I just can't believe we're still talking about this. Um, Right, right. So, um, but I get it. Everyone is going through this process anew, unless you've had kids go through it in previous years. And even then, um, there's so much that gets shared and passed around as fact uh, that it's, I don't think this will ever be a problem we can solve. All we can try and do is beat it back from time to time. So let's start, jump right in. Um, and the first myth that we hear, and it actually came up in a conversation I had yesterday, um, and that is the idea that there are quotas restricting the number of students from a specific high school who can be admitted to a university. So uh, I will use as an example that at Penn, If I was reading the files from X high school in Connecticut that I was only able to admit one student from that high school, what's your take on this myth? Right. That is a big one. You just heard it yesterday. I heard it actually at the soccer field with my son on Saturday. So even outside of work, we hear these myths. 
And some of these myths have kind of come from, they've come from a good place. I understand where that myth may have been perpetuated because we have the data now from Naviance. Many high schools have that data, and it can start to look like, oh, over the course of a couple of years, Penn has taken about one student from our high school. Um, right. and, and that can happen at, at many high schools. But the, the, the fact is, there are no quotas. If you ask any of our colleagues, we will all say the same thing. We were never told by our admission dean, you must take this number of students from this particular high school. But there does tend to be um, some historical data that we use when we're looking at admitting students. And sometimes we're looking for the same type of student and we're looking to kind of um, you know, hold that benchmark. And it does tend to, to tend to look like that we, we've got that quota. But I think the, the easy answer here is that that actually doesn't happen. We do not have quotas. We do not have number of students that we need to take from each high school. There were years in my experience where I took all of the applicants from one particular high school because they were all compelling and interesting and seemed like great fits for the school that I was, that I was working at. There were other years where I didn't take anyone. Um, yep. I didn't love that, but those students just didn't happen to be compelling within the applicant pool that year. Right, exactly. And I think there's a key point there. Every year, the applicant pool is different. And every year, the students who apply from a particular school are different. And um, the, the one thing I can share is that the more selective you go, where the fewer number of students are being accepted overall, the more that... It, it is going to not be helpful if you look a lot like the other applicants from your school um, and maybe aren't quite as strong in a couple of ways. Or conversely, if every applicant from the school is very different, um, that could be a really great thing and might be a banner year. And so not to belabor the point, but um, when I, I can think of an example in a given year where we had um, – Four students apply from a small private school um, there, where we had not taken students for probably the past two to three years. No one interesting to us had applied. Lots of interesting students there. Lots of interesting students had applied, but no one who was interesting enough to us in that year. And in this particular year, all four students had a different academic focus, different things that they were doing outside of the classroom, and all presented very strong academic records and very strong testing. So in all ways, they were both competitive and ultimately compelling, and we did take them all. But that was rare. Um, but any, right. any way you look at it in that school, I'm sure that the myth that the myth around was, well, Penn doesn't take our students. They don't like our students. And then boom, in one year we took all four. And so who knows, then maybe, I don't know what happened after that. If suddenly we had 20 students apply, I don't know, but no quotas. So let that idea go. All right. 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 Um, Here's another one, uh, that colleges prefer certain activities over others. And usually what we hear is that, well, they definitely want to see community service and or they definitely want to see sports um, and or they definitely require that students be doing something that's uh, related to their major. What are your thoughts about this myth, the idea that there are, there's a preference for certain activities over others? Right, and I think this is a, this is probably the second <laughs> to the quotas that we hear, but you know I think that comes from. 
from this idea that admission officers are sort of sitting down and looking at applications with a checklist of things that students must have done in order to be great applicants. And where what's missing from that is more of the background around why activities matter. So there, we, and you and I say this in our, in our work all of the time, but it's important for parents and students to know that there's no one preferred activity that we're looking for that we are looking to see that students have used their free time that we know is very limited in a way that is important to them, that they are learning certain skills through those activities. Um, if you're a member of a sports team, you need to be committed. You need to know how to work as a team. You need to show up. Um, if you're playing an instrument, you need to perfect that. You need to put it into practice. You need to figure out how to manage your time and really Behind all of it, it's those types of things that we're looking for. And students can learn those skills by being involved in any type of activity. I was actually just on the phone before um, this segment, and I was talking to a mom who said, well, he doesn't have any community service, and I know that that's what schools are looking for. And I said, community service is a great thing. It's a great thing if you as a family feel that's something you want your student to be involved in. I know many high schools require it. But if that's not your child's thing, if that's not something that you have decided you want to spend your time doing, that's okay too. And we really want to see that students have found something that they want to spend their time doing and that they have done that consistently. It, It might be athletics. It might be a part-time job. Um, it might be community service, but we're not placing certain values on the different types of activities that a student can be involved in. Right. It might be none of those things. And I will say <laughs> that the idea that schools really want to see community service is probably the biggest myth that I yes. hear the most consistently of everything we will cover in today and in future shows that's the one that I get the most. And like you said, community service is great. I in no way, shape, or form want a not community service. But the importance of it has grown to become so big in people's minds as to how impactful it is. I can't tell you how many times people are like, well, she has 100 hours of community service. And honestly, I'm sort of, my reaction is, okay, great. There are other many more interesting things usually that the student has to say or that that are then just, oh, well, she racked up 100 hours. What does that mean? What did she do? Is it important? Does it relate to anything else that she's doing? Why do I care? I get it. I get that she's doing something for the community, but I just think it's not as important as you think it is. (laughs) Or as parents think it is. I agree. I agree. And a little off topic, but in sort of what you were saying, that 100 hours, of what? Is it a la carte? Is it, I did a couple hours yes. here at, at a, at a um, food pantry. I did a couple hours here cleaning up a park. I mean, what does that mean? What was your impact? I'd much rather see 20 hours at something like uh, Special Olympics because you're a swimmer and you were actually helping and coaching some of the Olympians there. That makes sense. Right. So like you said, the number of hours isn't all that impressive. If it isn't actually teaching you something, you're not making an impact in your community. Right. You're just kind of doing the one-off things that are in front of you that maybe your friends were doing that day or because you need to get a hundred hours because your school requires it. To rack up those hours. 
Exactly. And I realize that we sound, maybe we sound a little cynical and I don't want to be cynical. I still really do want to underscore community service is a great thing, right? It really is. But it certainly is. And you know, you mentioned that I work at Holy Cross, which is a school that values a student's commitment to the community. And that's in the Mm -hmm. mission statement of the school, that your education will not only educate you for the betterment of yourself, but for others. So a student who has committed to something like community service shows in their application that they're a good fit for the school, right? So it certainly is something that we look at and value, but not over that student that has chosen to spend their time doing something else. Right. And I think that is a very good point that we haven't made, which is that there are definitely some colleges out there that are really going to value the commitment to service, but the idea that you can, my favorite thing, make a blanket statement and say all colleges really care about this is um, incorrect. All right. We're beating a dead horse probably, so we're going to move on because people are like, all right, we get it. It's not, you don't have to do it. Um, So here's another one where someone said this myth should be beaten into submission whenever possible. And this is, I'm going to put two together. Um, One is apply to Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, the Ivies. It's a lottery for everyone, so I might as well try, even though I don't think I'm competitive. And the whole you never know myth. And that was the one that someone said should be beaten into submission whenever possible. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we get this Mm -hmm. a lot, right? Well, you have a student, they've got a great list. It's very balanced. Um, They've got some reaches. They've got some matches. They've got some safeties. And then out of left field, suddenly there are all these highly selectives on there that the student is simply not competitive for. Um, And usually they're not competitive in really any way, but maybe they have one thing, like their testing is really high or their grades are really good or they have a really interesting accomplishment, but they haven't put all of those things together and they're not competitive. But often it's that they're really not competitive. They have none of those things, right? What, you know, how do we get people away from this idea that, oh, you just never know. You might as well. It's a lottery. Right. Well, I think a lottery is very, it's random, right? I mean, a lottery is either we pick the number that you have, right? I mean, it's very random. And I I think it's unfair to say that the process is random or that the people that got in were just the lucky ones that happened to be on the top of the pile that day. It really takes away from what those applicants actually look like. So, and, and, and sort of makes you think that the process doesn't dig deeply into who those those students were. There was something about their application, typically beyond having all of those numbers that you mentioned. So that student that only has one piece of the very large puzzle that is needed in terms of numbers, but then also all of those personal qualities, um, there was a reason why those people were admitted. It may seem random because they all look so great, but there was a review and a, a group of people, one person or a group of people who decided right. that this particular applicant was going to be a good fit and all of the others, while wonderful, were not going to fit for that year. So I, I, the lottery system just sort of makes it sound like, well, if my name gets picked out of the hat, what do you mean? And that's not really what happens. In the, in the process. And I think it does also take away from those students that were admitted. It, it wasn't just because their name happened to pop up in, in a lottery system. 
Right. Um, All you're really doing of, there is right is pumping up the application numbers and giving them another person to deny, basically. But exactly. I'm sorry, Kimberly, what, what were you going to say? You're you're making it more selective now by pumping up those numbers and giving another deny. Exactly. Um, but this idea that you know I've got one thing, um, it leads to so many other things to think about in the process. So. For these very selective schools, I, I often turn back to the numbers. You know, when you say to students, well, they're only admitting 5% of the students that have everything, um, what does that look like for you when you've only got one piece of the puzzle? And sometimes students are still like, hey, 5% is awesome. Like, I still have a shot. But when you so you're table, saying I have a chance. 95% right. don't. <laughs> so Actually, really I'm not. Thinking about, yeah, is this where I want to put my effort? And you know, also, it's more likely than not going to be a deny. And and that's not random. That's based on the data. Right. Exactly. And I think um, I actually did a whole um, series for the Huffington Post, which this particular part of the series may not, I think the link might be broken and I can't fix it because they eliminated that platform. But um, I talked about the downside to throwing in this kind of like just in case or, hey, let's see what happens. And one of the issues there is that the minute you press that button, you start to believe it's going to happen. So even though you know, well, I'm just going to see, why not? Let's just throw it in there. You have to put time and energy into that application, which, by the way, is time and energy that's taken away from maybe other applications or maybe the things you're doing outside of the classroom or perhaps what you're supposed to be doing in school and your grades and things like that. Um, But it also takes an emotional toll because I have seen it happen where you press submit, you know you don't have a shot, but somehow the act of pressing submit makes you feel like, well, I have a chance because... Someone's going to read my file and maybe they're going to see how awesome I am um, and overlook all the stuff that I don't have, which doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so when you get those rejection letters, it still hurts. So It hurts. um, And I think it dilutes the good news you're likely to get from some of the other places that were more in line, right? So, oh, that school didn't want me, right? But here's my backups, whereas those other schools really are likely the better fit for you overall. And it sort of dilutes that excitement about that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And um, the fact of the matter is that you are, you are hitting on a really key component, which is when you start to get those no's, it makes the people who don't want you suddenly seem even more desirable. I don't know why that is. And then everything else less desirable. Mm-hmm. Stop mm-hmm. W- wanting the club that doesn't want you and right. focus on the schools that you liked, that you put on your list because you really liked them. Um, all right, Kimberly, we did not get through lots of these. So um, uh, we're going to do, I think, make this a little bit more of a regular segment. But thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate it. No problem. It was fun. Yeah, let's do another segment. We've got a whole list of these to go through. We do. We do. So I'm going to get it on there. Um, But in the meantime, uh, thank you to you and thank you to all of our other guests today. Next week, Sally is hosting. Um, She's going to be talking about supplemental essays for a couple more colleges. um, And she's going to be answering listener questions. So send in your college admissions and finance questions to gettingin.voiceamerica.gmail.com. Also, as a reminder, we're now on Instagram 
at College Coach BH, um, at Elizabeth Heaton 92. Uh, we're also on Facebook. So if you're not following us there, then please, by all means, do that. Um, visit our archives. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us anywhere that you find your podcasts. Uh, and we are here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.